Michigan's defense hammers the Hawkeyes, but where's the offense? Lots of reaction from Saturday's 10-3 victory in Ann Arbor. And the 16th-ranked Wolverines head to Champaign on Saturday. We'll preview the game against the Illini with Bob Osmussen from the Champaign News-Gazette. Get you your weekly picks and a whole lot more. It's all coming up next on this week's edition of Hail to the Pod. Welcome to this week's edition of Hail to the Pod. I'm your host, Kevin Rich. You know how to get me by now. Hit me up on Twitter at krich23. Email the show at hailtothepod at gmail.com and download and subscribe to the podcast everywhere your favorite podcasts are found, including Apple iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Leave a review if you are so inclined. I would appreciate it greatly. Well, Michigan will head to Champaign this Saturday. They take on the 2-3 and three Fighting Illini of Illinois. Much more on that game here shortly. But first, we have to talk about the game last Saturday. A defensive slobber knocker. Michigan with a 10-3 victory over Iowa, of course. The offense leaving a bit to be desired. More on that momentarily. But I mentioned last week how huge of a game this was for Michigan. I could not overstate it any more than that. Iowa coming to town, a top 15 team in the country, a team that had been playing really good football. Michigan could not afford another loss in the Big Ten after what happened in Madison a few weeks ago. And all that national media putting attention and pressure on Harbaugh and the coaching staff, what's wrong with Michigan and this and that. It was just a game that Michigan had to win. You went into Saturday on the edge of your seat saying Michigan's got to win this game on Saturday. They had to win it to silence those critics, get that monkey off the back in a sense, and show that every goal that they set for this season was still in front of them. And credit to Michigan, they went out on Saturday and they won a big game. The first of three really tough tests here in the month of October. Of course, they've got Penn State next week uh, on the road, and then they get the home game against Notre Dame um, still waiting in the wings. When you look back at this game on Saturday, it's the first time Michigan scored 10 points or less and won a game since 1995 when they beat Purdue 5 to nothing. I actually remember that game pretty well because it was probably one of the only games ever that my dad and I looked outside, looked at each other and said, yeah, you know what? Let's just watch this one at home. <laughs> it was 34 degrees, freezing rain, turned into snow, 30 mile per hour winds. The couch was a much more comfortable spot to uh, watch that game than in the big house that Saturday. But big difference here versus that game in 1995, the weather was actually pretty good in Ann Arbor on Saturday. But let's start with the good. I want to talk about the offense, but got to talk about the defense first. Their defense on Saturday, my oh my, was Michigan's defense absolutely incredible in the game on Saturday. They played an excellent game. They played inspired. And as a fan, you had to have really enjoyed watching what they did on the field on Saturday. In addition to holding Iowa to just three points, they sacked Nate Stanley eight times on Saturday. That was the most sacks Michigan's had in a game since sacking Ohio State eight times in the 2016 game. And that's also tied for the most sacks in the last 15 seasons. We talked about how great Michigan's defense has looked under Don Brown these last few seasons and the fact that that's the most sacks they've tied for in the last 15 seasons other than that game against Ohio State in 2016 is so impressive. And it's also so uncommon for Iowa. It was the most Nate Stanley's ever been sacked in a game, and it was the most sacks that Iowa has allowed in a game in over 12 years. 2007 was the last time that happened when they were sacked by Indiana nine times. Just cannot overstate 
how well that defense played on Saturday. Three points given up, eight sacks, four turnovers. They forced eight penalties. They held Iowa to just one yard of rushing on the ground when you factor in all those sacks. And the defense, they were moving all over the field. They were confusing the offensive players of Iowa. The blitz scheme was perfect. You could not have asked for a better coaching job in that game than what Don Brown delivered on. And more importantly, what his players delivered on. They executed so well. Steak dinners for everybody. (laughs) But hold off on the stake for the offense because the woes continued. My oh my. Like what a weird feeling on Saturday because after Michigan forced that fumble and got the field goal and then they hit Nico Collins deep on the next drive and Charbonnet punched it in, Michigan's sitting there with a 10-0 lead early. Like we're talking less than seven minutes into the ball game and Michigan's up 10-0 and you're thinking, oh yeah, here we go. They're about to blow this team out. Well, not so much. Because the question continues, like, what's wrong with the offense and how do they get it going? Is it the quarterback? Is it the play calling? Like, what's the issue? Jim Harbaugh said in the press conference this week that he feels the offense is close to hitting its stride. Is he watching the same games we are? (laughs) I mean, I laugh, but look, that's got to be a little coach speak, right? I mean, he can't possibly feel like they have everything clicking and that they're that close to hitting uh, the stride here offensively. And I don't know that it's a simple answer to the question on what the woes are on offense, but I've mentioned this here a couple weeks here on the podcast. The RPO just isn't effective right now. And unfortunately, Michigan is running out of time to figure it out offensively. Sure, they'll likely be fine against a poor team in Illinois this weekend, but then they're going into a buzzsaw in Happy Valley next week. The dreaded whiteout, the primetime game on ABC, we knew that was coming, and we know what happened last time Michigan went in there Hostile crowd at nighttime, they struggled offensively. And then Notre Dame comes to Ann Arbor the week after that. Michigan has the type of defense that's going to keep them in every game this year, but it's hard to imagine they can win every game the rest of the year unless they get the offense rolling. And to me, it continues to come down to the RPO scheme. Quite simply, for whatever reason, the run pass option just isn't working effectively. And the reason why, to me, There's been no threat whatsoever of the quarterback keeping the ball after the mesh point. Shea Patterson has either handed it off to the running back or he's kept it and dialed up a throw. And that makes it so much easier for a defense to go up against because they know Shea Patterson's not a threat here. He's not going to run the ball. Yeah, we know he can throw the ball, but he's no threat to run the ball and keep it. And I've talked ad nauseum last week, so I don't want to keep harping on it. But until you make the quarterback a threat to keep the ball at the mesh point, and actually run with it, the RPO scheme just isn't going to be that effective. And it's also a very complicated scheme. So the offensive line right now, who's having a tough time opening up holes for the running backs and getting some time in pass protection for the quarterback, it's a tough scheme for them to run until they're really able to click at a higher level. And we saw it in the Rutgers game two weeks ago. Michigan mixed in some other formations that worked really well. They mixed in some pistol formation. They mixed in some shotgun spread. What worked well in that game, when they ran those formations and mixed it up, was the fact that they called a run player pass play, or even a play action, ahead of time. And what makes that more effective at times than the RPO is the quarterback has to make a read to either hand it off, keep it, or pass it. So in the current RPO system, Shea is not going to take off with the ball himself at the mesh point, and you're going to run it or pass it anyways. So if you're going to do that... That's why sometimes when you call in these other formations like the pistol and the shotgun spread, they looked more effective because if you call a run play ahead of time, the offensive line is going to set up their blocks 
so that they can set up the opportunity for the running back to get to the running lane and get through that line of scrimmage and make positive yards happen. And if they call a pass play, they're able to set up the pass protection. And the problem I'm seeing in the RPO is right now, because of the woes on the offensive line, when they get to that mesh point and Shea Patterson decides to keep the ball, he's getting half a second less to survey the field before the defense gets through the O-line and they get over to him. You know, you talk about in a shotgun formation spread like attack where a pass play is called, literally when the ball is snapped to the quarterback, he's got his eyes downfield and he's looking for his wide receivers to make space and getting rid of the football. Whereas at that mesh point, you're taking the snap, you're looking at the running back, you're then surveying the field, and then you got to make a decision whether you hand it off to the running back, keep it yourself, or throw the ball. So I just think it's a complicated scheme. I think it's, you know, AP history 301 instead of the 101 or 102 class. And I just don't think that Michigan at this point, at least in game situations, certainly they must be doing a good job of it at practice because they keep going at it. But in in-game situations against really tough defenses, they're having a tough time operating out of the RPO consistently and making good plays happen. So until they're able to do that, to me, I think a solution, obviously, uh, is to mix up more of the pistol and mix in more of the spread formation. Uh, Because quite frankly, at this point, the RPO isn't running as effectively as it could be. Now, there are also some rumblings this week, much like earlier this season, that they need to bench Shea and go with another quarterback. So I kind of want to tackle that argument here quickly. I don't know that benching him for another quarterback is the answer. Like what I alluded to a few minutes ago, the issues on offense just seem larger than Shea. The O-line struggled, the scheme hasn't operated efficiently, and the play calling has been suspect. If Dylan McCaffrey is healthy, and we hope he is getting there because of that awful hit he took against Wisconsin with the concussion, and he very well could be okay this week, or maybe he's another week away. But if he's healthy, and he were the one to become the quarterback, does the RPO work better? I mean, he's looked like a better runner than Patterson, so we'd expect to see more out of him at the mesh point. But is he a better passer? We're not entirely sure. Joe Milton, he's got a cannon of an arm, but he's lacked some accuracy throwing the football. And Michigan, who's been turnover prone earlier in the season, can't afford to have a quarterback in the game that's turning the ball over and throwing interceptions like Joe Milton uh, has in a couple uh, series that he's had so far this season where he's been inaccurate throwing the football. So look, I mean, the coaches, they get paid a crap ton of money to evaluate, coach, and work with these players day in and day out. I just get this sense that if they felt McCaffrey or Milton gave them the best shot to win, then one of those guys would have started by now. Clearly, they feel Shea Patterson gives Michigan the best chance to win. Now, maybe it is Dylan and he's just hurt. And when he gets back from the concussion protocol, we'll see more of him. But again, I just get this sense that if he had blown them away throughout the offseason and had blown them away in practice, he would have gotten that start by now over Shea Patterson. And again, as much as Shea has struggled, if they feel he gives the team the best chance to win, they're going to stick with them. It's that simply put. Ultimately, to me, they need to figure out how to get this offense clicking. And I think the issue is more the play calling, the scheme, and some of the woes on the offensive line than it is Shea Patterson. Also, one more thing from Saturday, and then we'll get into the game this coming weekend, the field goal kicking. My God, I said it earlier in the year, and I'll say it again. Just pick a darn guy. Michigan has two talented kickers, and I get it. Nordine is better at the long distance. Uh, Moody, not as strong of a leg as Nordine, although we've seen Moody make some really long uh, field goals uh, during warmups as they get ready uh, to take those games on the field. But they're both struggling right now because they keep alternating between the two. 
And I trust Jay Feely here, and I saw him on TV the other day, and he referenced this as well, and I can't agree more. He said the same thing. He said, look, you got two guys, but you got to pick one. There's no sense of confidence that can be built for either of the guys until they do that. So Jay Feely, you never led us astray. You kicked some big-ass field goals in your time in Michigan and in the pros. I trust you on that, and I agree with you. They got to get one guy figured out here and make him the guy moving forward. But nonetheless, Michigan needed a huge win on Saturday. They got one thanks to an incredible defensive performance. And while it seemed hard to imagine after the loss to Wisconsin a few weeks ago, everything they set out to play for this year, including a Big Ten championship, is still in front of them. But the margin of error remains minimal. All right, the 14th-ranked Wolverines, they head to Champaign this Saturday to take on the 2-3 and three Fighting Illini. And here to help preview the game is Bob Osmussen. Bob covers Illinois for the Champaign News Gazette. You can follow him on Twitter at Bob Osmussen. Bob, thanks for taking some time with me today. How are you? I'm doing great. Anytime you want to talk, I'll talk. Perfect. Well, uh, let's talk about the Illini. They start the year 2-0, and uh, three straight losses. Uh, you know that Eastern Michigan and Nebraska game, actually, uh, some games they were very competitive in, thought they had a chance to win that. But here they are. They sit 2-3. and three. What's the temperature like in Champaign in particular as it relates to uh, Coach Lovey Smith? Well, there's a great deal of, of disappointment, no question. I think after the 2-0 start, they hadn't been 3-0 here a long time. I think people thought that would happen this year. And Eastern Michigan, not a great team, not a bad team, but a team you should think you should beat at home. So people here expected 3-0. The Nebraska game, they obviously had a chance to win. That was disappointing. They could easily have started 4-0. Yeah. But last week, obviously, it's a bad game. Lovey, a lot of people outside of, of here think Lovey was in big trouble before the year. I don't think that was the case. I think it was more of a wait-and-see type thing. And when they started 2-0, it was like, okay, they're fine. They played two games. The next two games, they won. So it was still okay. But last week, the temperature rose in a negative way for him. I think people now are wondering if they can go forward with him. So do you see a scenario that they would let him go during the season if things continue to get bad? Or is this kind of a wait and see how the rest of the season plays out and figure that out at the no, end of the year? I, I, I don't see. I, I, I guess anything can happen, right? We've seen it across the board. Sure. Rutgers changed the coach after a couple of games. So it's possible, but I don't think that's going to happen here. Uh, the athletic director, Josh Whitman, Levy Smith was his first big hire. He wants to give him every chance to succeed. If you look at the schedule, obviously the next two games against Michigan and those Wisconsin comes there the next week, those are going to be tough. But if you look beyond that, they play Purdue, they play Rutgers. They play some games they can win. I think Josh Whitman is going to give Levy the chance to come back. So he's going to do everything in his power to set up, set him up to have a chance to return next year. He does not want to make a change. I promise that he does not want to. He does not want to change coaches with Levy Smith. He wants to have him succeed here. But I think if they get to a point where if they finish two and ten, he might have to make a change. But I don't see that coming. I don't think the change will come midseason. I'll be I'll be stunned if that happens. 
Yeah, I think I'd, I'd be stunned to see that as well. And you know, there's you're not really setting a good precedent when every couple of years you're uh, changing coaches. And and you know, it seems to me, um, especially after that start to the year, and you mentioned kind of the back end of the schedule uh, that things uh, should be getting a little easier down the road, um, but a little difficult before then. And that starts with Michigan coming to town this weekend. Uh, one thing Lovey's done is he's brought in some transfer quarterbacks, and there's none more um, interesting on on the Michigan side of things and who they're going to see. Uh, at quarterback for Illinois, and that's the uh, transfer, Brandon Peters. Now, I know it's still early in the week, but what are you hearing on the status of him? I know he got banged up in the game last week. Yeah, I don't think he'll play, honestly. If I had to guess, I don't know that for sure. Uh, we talked to Larry Smith a couple hours ago, about an hour ago. He doesn't have any update. He, he says it's early in the week. So if Brandon was ready to go on Thursday, he'd play. Right. But I think, I think he, I, he got knocked in the head, a bad hit against Minnesota, I think it's unlikely he's going to play. So I think you're looking at Matt Robinson making his first start against Michigan, which is probably not the best situation for him. He's a good runner, a decent passer, guy that has a lot of ability to, to make plays, but I'm not sure that that's where you want to start. I'd rather start against Rutgers or uh, Purdue or something than Michigan for my first time out. But he's, not, he's a competitive kid. I talked to him this afternoon, this morning. He was very confident in himself, which is good. And but I think I'll be stunned if Brandon starts. Honestly, I'll be stunned if Brandon plays. Yeah, I mean, how much does that offensive game plan change? You know, you got Brandon Peters, who's more of a sit in the pocket kind of quarterback, and and the redshirt freshman at Robinson. At least what I saw uh, in the game against Minnesota last week when he came in, he likes to get out and scramble a bit. Does that offensive style change, or are they going to try and keep him in the pocket, you think, like they've set up with uh, Peters? No, it'll, be, it'll, be, it'll be more what Mark Smith is offense coordinator. Coordinator, If you asked him what's the perfect quarterback for you, he would tell you a dual threat guy, a guy that can run and throw. He wants the throwing to be better than it's been the last couple of weeks, but he wants a guy that can move. So I think Matt Robinson, frankly, is better suited for this offense than Brandon Peters is. Now, they like Brandon Peters because of his experience. The fact that he played in the Big Ten, the fact that he's got a good arm, a strong arm, actually, and the fact that they thought he could add some leadership. But I think Matt Robinson is better suited to run this offense. So they're not going to change a thing. Actually, I think they'll do more of what they do normally with Matt in charge as opposed to Brandon in charge. Yeah, and Michigan uh, defensively, as good as they look last week against Iowa, they've had uh, challenges with more mobile uh, dual-threat quarterbacks uh, in the past. And, you know, watching some previous Illinois games this season, uh, the real stud that I've seen uh, on that offense has been the running back, Reggie Corbin. He's so talented, uh, led the nation in runs of 70-plus yards last year. I was a little surprised watching the game against Minnesota on Saturday that he didn't really carry the ball a whole lot, um, particularly in the second half. Was that a shocker to you, too? It was, and I don't know what happened there. They kind of got out of their system a little bit because they had you know, changed the quarterback, and obviously they, they were not playing well. They were not playing well offensively. Reggie should be an important part. If it was up to me, he carried the ball 25, 30 times every game. But I'm not, I'm not in charge of that thing. That's uh, Ryan Smith's call. But Reggie Corbin is a guy that you said is right. He's explosive. He's had a great year last year. He's a great story, too, because the year before, as a sophomore, he only gained 85 yards or 75, 78 yards, something like that, right over the season. He just wasn't used by the old coordinator. Uh, Ross Smith gets here and says, why isn't this guy playing? Put him in the lineup, and all of a sudden, boom, 1,000-yard guy, 
first time in Illinois for eight or nine years, so it's a big deal for Illinois to get him there in there. Spencer Corbin is a talented kid. What I'm surprised by, honestly, is the fact they don't throw the ball to him more out of the backfield. Because as good as he is at the line of scrimmage, he's even better. You get him on space than him play against a linebacker or a safety, he'll be murdered for them. So I think that he might, you might see more of that. You might see rollouts and get Reggie ball in flat and let him go. Because he's really talented as a receiver and as a runner. Yeah, and he's uh, climbing that list uh, in program history with the Illini. He's the 18th uh, Illini in program history to gain 2,000 career rushing yards. Uh, he's been really impressive. And there, to me, it looks like you know there are some threats uh, from the receiving core if you can get them the ball. Um, we talked about a transfer in Brandon Peters, but the transfer that's uh, been really impressive as I've watched some film is uh, Joshy Matterbebe. Um, what does he and other pass catchers bring to the table for this team? Well, the, the main thing they've had problems with the last couple of years here is separation. You can't get away from the safety, you can't get away from the corner, then you're not going to catch the pass. I think those guys, Trayvon Sidney was banged up a little bit, and also Southern the Cal transfer, and, and Josh are both guys that can get away. They can separate, they can get, they can make, you throw a ball to them high in the air, they're going to catch it. So I think that's the big thing for them, is they create maybe a matchup problem for some corners, for some safety, because of their athletic ability, their ability to go up and make a play. So I think you'll see if Josh plays and he'll play well, he has a chance to have a big game every game. And he's really a threat. The place where they uh, maybe you'll see a little bit more use is tight end. Daniel Barger, another matchup problem. He's a guy that can also get separation. He's also a tall, big guy, a really good blocker, really good receiver. So he's a guy that could make a make a dent in this game too we're talking to bob osmussen he covers illinois for the champagne news gazette news gazette excuse me shifting over to the defensive side of the ball um defense has some talent on that defensive line uh with another transfer there uh Uloale batiku these are fun pronunciations my friend uh, thank he's you got... <laughs> not, not, not by doing but thank you <laughs> he's got seven sacks already on the season he personally has more than several teams in the nation have collectively what makes him so special well, again, he's a high-energy guy, a great burst off the line of scrimmage, and he just gets to the quarterback. I mean, that's what you want. Uh, he's not like Simeon Rice, who we played here a long time ago, but was a great player, like just like that. But he's got he's got that kind of knack to get get around the end, get a quarterback, and get to him and get him the, on the ground. He needs to do more, honestly, because they lost a huge player, important player in the offseason, Bobby Rontree. Guys heard in a swimming accident during the summer. He's not even back on campus yet. And I think his football days are over. But that was a huge loss. You put him on one end and Wally on the other end, they'd be dangerous. Without him, they're kind of one-man game there a little bit. So they need some help from the tackles for the other ends. Yeah, let's talk about that. You know, once you get past the defensive uh, line there, you look at the linebacking core. Junior linebacker Jake Hansen looks pretty good. Um, what about the rest of that linebacking uh, crew? I mean, are, what are you seeing out of them, and, and what do you expect to see out of them on Saturday? Dele Harding is a senior who's having a really good year. He's leading the team in tackles. He's a guy that really can cover cover guys out of the backfield, also good against the running backs. So he's a good player. He's done really well. And the other guy... Um, you know, maybe re- getting less recognition is there uh, uh, Milo Eifler is a transfer from Washington who had a touchdown against uh, in the game against Minnesota. He had a return for a touchdown. 
he's a really, really talented player. Guy they got uh, some transfers. Uh, had to sit out last year. Uh, good, good guy. Uh, had to, had some shoulder problems early in his career, but he's, he's healed up and he's a good player. He's a guy to keep an eye on. Yeah, he's one of the uh, many transfers that uh, Coach Lovey Smith has uh, utilized utilized well on the team this year. So, you know, you start to look at position groups, try to figure out where a team, you know, may have a significant advantage over the other. That secondary for the Illini has struggled uh, quite a bit. Um, I think that might be an area Michigan, uh, if they look to find success in the game, would be Patterson uh, throwing the ball. Is that something in terms of the secondary that, that concerns you as well? You know, definitely, because they're banked up. They're short guys. They lost a really good uh, Marquez Beeson, who was a freshman here uh, from from Texas. They counted on he would have been the starting corner. He got hurt in the preseason, tore his knee up. He's off to the year. If he was playing, there'd be a different team. They don't have him. Yeah. Their safeties are bang, banged up. Their corners been banged up. They got guys hurt all over the place. Yeah, that definitely a place that Michigan will have a chance to take advantage of Illinois. No question. There'll be a place. They're always trying to do things there that they really can't do because they don't have the don't have the personnel. Yeah, it's tough when you lack the depth there with injuries. There's been some question marks on both sides of the ball, but the special teams has really been a bright spot, right? No, no question. The punter's from Australia. He's got a great accent. He's a good kid. <laughs> he's been good from the second he got here. He's been fun, fun to watch. He's uh, athletic. He's tall, sick pie guy. And he's really good. And James McCourt, a junior, he's been here a long time. Uh, actually, Richard is so he's a Richard junior. He's made, made long kicks after long kicks. Kind of a surprise, honestly, because there's a kid from nearby. There's a freshman, a redshirt freshman uh, from Danville, Illinois, that everybody thought would be the kicker this year. And instead, McCourt beat him out. That was a surprise, but he's done really well. He's a good little kicker. Anything outside, he, honestly, he can try from 55. 56 yards. He made us a 50 70 order to tie his whole record last year. He's really good. And the kick return teams are good too. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah, McCourt already with a couple of 50-yard field goals this season. So let's uh, prognosticate a little bit here. How do you expect the game to play out on Saturday? And ultimately, what's uh, what's your prediction? Well, I think Michigan's defense is going to be really difficult for Illinois to move the ball against. The way they played against Iowa, I watched every, that game snap to snap. And I thought they played really well. I think Illinois was had as much or more trouble than Iowa did. So I think it's going to be low scoring for Illinois. I think Michigan, based on what, how they played a couple of weeks ago against Rutgers, I think they'll win. A, probably have lost that game. I think I've seen 20 points as a favorite. I think that's pretty reasonable. So I'd maybe like a you know maybe 30 10 game or something like that. I, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Maybe more than that. Yeah. One other thing uh, I wanted to bring up, which I thought was pretty cool, um, that's happening on campus on Friday, and, and then I'll let you go, uh, unveiling of a statue of legendary fighting Illini linebacker Dick Budkiss. What's his legacy meant to Illinois football? Oh, it's just awesome because he's such an icon. Of course, not just college football, not just Big Ten football, but nationally. Everybody knows him. I think they think of him partly as a bear guy, of course, because he's right there. But here, he, he's beloved He's got, he'll be the second statue on campus, okay, on at football. Red Grange has one, so that kind of makes sense. Yeah. But, yeah, Buckus statue, it's, uh, there's, it's going to be a really cool thing. Dick will be back. Dick will cry because he cries every time he comes back. <laughs> but it's not, not like I'm sad they're playing bad. It's more like, God, I love being here. I love this place. He's not much back here much. He's in California most of the time. So we love having him back here. He's just, he's kind of scary, actually. The first time I talked to him, he's like, 
when he asked me this question, I mean, he's like intimidating. He's so <laughs> 75 years old. You know he could beat the cop out of So, But he's, he's a lot of fun. I love having him back here. And the, the town will rally around him. He's going to talk to the team, I think, on Friday or Saturday. And I think that will be motivating for them. So don't be surprised if they come out of the gate pretty far job, play really well first quarter or two because Dick just talked to them. They'll, they'll be, have their, their errors and be ready to go. Yeah, the Hall of Famer, no doubt, when he talks, you listen. Uh, he's, he's Bob Osmussen, covers Illinois for the Champagne News Gazette. You can follow him on Twitter at Bob Osmussen. Bob, thank you so much for the time today, and enjoy the game on Saturday. Thanks a lot. Anytime. Time to get you some picks. A tough week for me last week. Don't have many of those. It's only the second time this season where we didn't pull a profit. My lock of the week, Colorado, didn't do me any favors. Lock of the week is now 3-3 three and three on the season. Time to get it back up and rolling this week. There are some really, really good games this week. A couple rivalry games, some big conference matchups. There are definitely some games I'm staying away from. I'm staying away from the game in Madison. That's actually a game I'll be at this weekend. Wisconsin's a 10-point favorite against Sparty. Every time I pick against Sparty, they end up being on the winning end of the against the spread numbers, so I'm avoiding that completely. Another great game in the Big Ten, Iowa and Penn State. Penn State's a three-point favorite. It's calling out for you to pick Iowa. They're just so good at those night games at Kinnick Stadium. But Penn State has looked really good. I want no part in that game. And the Red River rivalry, Oklahoma, surprisingly, an 11-point favorite in that one. The logic says take Texas. That's been a one-score game the last five seasons. Coach Herman's been unbelievable as an underdog in games. It just seems to me the odds makers are baiting you into taking Texas there. So I want no part of it. Uh, as well. So here are hopefully some easier picks. We'll start in South Bend, Indiana. I don't usually like taking a home team when they're a big favorite in a rivalry game, but I actually think the home team here should be favored by much more than they currently are. That's Notre Dame. They're an 11-point favorite at home against USC. I actually thought that that would be like a 14, 15 point uh, spread here. So I find a lot of value in this one. I'm not going to let the name USC fool me. They are a mess right now. They put up a terrible performance against Washington last week. Clay Helton's job is on life support right now. He's got a terrible record on the road in big games. Notre Dame has looked too good. Ian Book is a quarterback that not many people are talking about for the Heisman, and they should. I'll take the Irish minus the 11 points. And now to a rivalry game where I think the spread is way too high, and that's in Baton Rouge, LSU, a 13.5-point favorite at home against Florida. How a team that just upset the seventh-ranked team in the nation last week, how they can be a two-touchdown underdog this week is kind of mind-boggling. I get it. I think LSU is legit. I expect him to win this game. Joe Burrow has been really good. That defense is good to go here. But I still feel that the Gators have a phenomenal defense, and I find it hard to imagine, as you know, good defenses travel on the road, that they get blown out in a rivalry game here by two touchdowns or more. It just seems like this is going to be a close one going into the fourth quarter. It's been a close game going into the fourth quarter each year. And don't get me wrong. If LSU wins this game by two touchdowns and they prove me wrong, great for them. Put them right up there at the top of the SEC next to Alabama and Georgia. But I just get this sense it's going to be a close game. It is a rivalry game. It's going to be within a one-score game. I'll take Florida, the underdogs here, plus the 13 and a half. Those are some marquee games. I had to really go down under the surface to find this one. But it's one that I like quite a bit. And that's the game in Athens. No, not Athens, Georgia. 
Athens, Ohio, the Ohio Bobcats, they're a six and a half point favorite at home against Northern Illinois. The Huskies are riding a four game losing streak. They've struggled to put up points. They've been very one dimensional. They've got a pass game, but no rush game to speak of. Ohio, on the other hand, no issue scoring offensively. It's their defense that struggled a little bit. And when you've got a struggling defense taking on a struggling offense and it's the defense that's at home, I will take that matchup any day of the week. Add to it that Ohio is 7-1 and one against the spread in their last eight home games versus a team with a losing road record. It's a little revenge game for them after losing to the Huskies last year. I'll take Ohio and the 6.5 points. And now for my lock of the week, we're going to make you stay up late for this one. Let's go to the blue fields out in Boise, the Boise State Broncos, 13 and a half point favorites over Hawaii. Boise undefeated on the season. Their freshman quarterback is slinging the ball with ease. The betting numbers here, they tell you to back Boise in a big way. Boise's covered the number in five of their last eight conference games. They are six, two, and one in their last nine games against the number. Both teams have strong offenses, but Boise's defense is much better than Hawaii. Hawaii also turns the ball over at ease. They've had 15 giveaways in five games already this year. This is not a good matchup at all for the Rainbow Warriors. I love that this is sitting at just under two touchdowns. Boise State has won the last six meetings by 20 points or more. I am going to be rewarded, and you will too, if you stay up late and watch this one. I'm taking Boise State. Minus the 13 and a half. They are my lock of the week. Go Broncos. Here we go. Red 29. And now to the game that matters most on Saturday. The 16th ranked Michigan Wolverines. 4-1 overall. 2-1 in the Big Ten. They head to Champaign to take on the Illinois Fighting Illini who are 2-3 overall and 0-2 in Big Ten play. It's a noon kickoff, 11 a.m. Central Time out in Champaign. The game will be televised nationally on ABC with Dave Pash, Greg McElroy, and Tom Luganbill. And, of course, on radio, you'll hear Jim Brandstander and Dan Deardorff on the Michigan Learfield IMG Radio Network across the great state of Michigan. So this is the 96th meeting between the two schools, Michigan with an all-time advantage of 70 wins, 23 losses and two ties over the Illini. They've definitely dominated this series long term. 34 of those 70 wins have come on the road in Champaign. Also, Michigan's 70 wins over the Illini are tied for second only to the 74 wins they hold over Minnesota. Illinois is the fourth most common opponent Michigan has faced. This will be their 96th game against one another. Only Minnesota, Michigan State, and Ohio State have played more games against the Wolverines. Last 10 games in the series, Michigan with an 8-2 advantage. They have a four-game win streak. They last played in 2016 when Michigan won by a score of 41-8 to in the big house. Michigan opens a 20.5-point favorite. I've seen the line as high as 22 to 23 points, and I think that spread makes sense. I think that's fair. We know of Illinois struggles under Coach Lovey Smith the last few seasons. The early eye test after two wins to start the year was, wow, okay, this team looks a lot better. This team could maybe be um, a bit more of a force in the Big Ten. I use force as a loose term, but you know, not the kind of team that is in danger of not even winning a game in the Big Ten the way they started this year. And then, of course, they now have three straight losses, a butt whooping at the hands of Minnesota last week. Illinois is back under 500, and the calls for Coach Lovey Smith losing his job are loud in and around Champaign. 
Illinois is ranked 103rd in total offense. They're 12th in the Big Ten, and they're ranked 96th in total defense, 12th in the Big Ten as well. So certainly not the toughest competition Michigan will be facing this season. But it is a road game. Michigan struggled a bit on the road lately. We know Michigan's only 12-6 and on the road under Coach Jim Harbaugh. So it's not like this is a complete and utter catewalk. But I do really like how this team matches up against Illinois on Saturday. It's hard to find truly any areas that Illinois has an advantage on them other than the running back position. When you look at the offensive side of the ball for Michigan, I look for the offense to try and gain some rhythm. I look for them to try and make Coach Harbaugh look like he knew what he was talking about in the press conference, uh, that the offense is close to hitting its stride. And, you know, look, they're going to need to be close to hitting their stride here. They need to hit their stride because if they don't show improvement, if they don't show a burst, if they don't put up points at mercy against this defense, imagine what they're going to be facing in Happy Valley next Saturday. And we know the Nittany Lions defense is no joke. So what I'd love to see on Saturday, I'd love to see Michigan mix in some more pistol and some more shotgun spread like they did against Rutgers. Whether that happens or not remains to be seen. Uh, And they'll likely stick with the RPO. I get it. But hopefully another week of practice under the belts when they get to the game on Saturday, they're able to run the RPO more effectively. And what it's looked like for most of the season so far, hopefully it looks a lot better on Saturday. And there's no doubt Michigan has a monster advantage in this game against the Illinois secondary. That secondary is banged up big time. They let Minnesota and Nebraska torch them in previous weeks. They've allowed 11 yards per completion, which is one of the worst in the country and the Big Ten. And they allow over 240 passing yards per game. Again, that's near the bottom of the conference and the country. We know Michigan has big wide receivers. And for gosh sakes, they need to exploit that. On Saturday, I mean, I understand getting methodical and not abandoning the run and all that. But if we aren't seeing Patterson drop back and hit some receivers for some big gains on Saturday, then something is seriously wrong. On the defensive side of the ball, hard to expect a whole lot from Illinois in this one. You know, at the time of this recording, Brandon Peters, he's still iffy to play this week at quarterback for Illinois. Looks like he'll be a game time decision if that. And that's kind of a bummer about the fact that he doesn't play. You know, you'd imagine he'd be motivated to put up some numbers versus his former team. And same thing for Michigan's defense. You know, they, of course, would want to stop him from making things happen. And I'm pretty sure they're pretty excited to play against him as well if he was able to go. But if he can't go, you expect to see the redshirt freshman Matt Robinson in there, who does pose a bit more of a threat as a mobile quarterback than he does throwing the ball. But really, the main guy that Michigan's defense will be looking at containing in this one is that junior running back, Reggie Corbin. He's been so impressive for the Illini. He ran for over 1,000 yards last year. There are some really, really good rushers in the Big Ten, and he is the fourth best rusher in the conference. So Michigan needs to keep their eye out on him on Saturday. So I'd expect Michigan's defense to stuff that box, blitz heavy, Blitz often, that zone blitz that works so well against Iowa should work pretty well against Illinois here on Saturday. They'll single coverage the wideouts and put a lot of pressure on the quarterback and that running game. And if Michigan can cause havoc on the quarterback, and if Michigan can stop Corbin from making plays in that backfield, then it could be a really, really long day for the fighting Illini. And in the end, I think Michigan will do just that. Don Brown has been licking his chops all week, putting together a defensive game plan for this one. It's a type of offense that Michigan's defense generally plays extremely well against. Defense travels well on the road. I expect them to make it a long day for Illinois offensively. And then offensively for Michigan, here's another week. We're going to learn a lot more about this offense and hope to see improvement. They need to show it because the road is not getting any easier. 
And I think it will be an above-average offensive game for Michigan. The O-line should be able to pass, protect, and give Patterson time to find open receivers against a really banged-up secondary. And it's going to be very interesting to see how often Michigan airs it out and how much better the RPO scheme looks than the previous weeks. In the end, not a lot of competition there on the field. I just don't see it from Illinois on Saturday. I think Michigan's got better athletes, better scheme, and more importantly, a defense that's going to put a lot of pressure on the quarterback, whether that's Brandon Peters or Matt Robinson. I'm going to go with Michigan 31, Illinois 6. And that will do it for this week's edition of Hail to the Pod. Thank you to Bob Osmussen from the Champagne News Gazette for hopping on earlier. And thank you so much for listening. As always, you can tweet me at krich23. Email the show at hailtothepod at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Enjoy the game on Saturday. And as always, go Blue.